This is Saddleback Radio 88.5 and welcome to The Creative Muse, the show that explores how people use the power of creativity to inspire, heal, enhance, and change their lives. I'm your host, Heather Wishlow. Today our guest is David Friedman, an angel investor and president of Tech Coast Angels here in Orange County, California. He is also the managing director and host of Street Savvy, a business cable TV show. He's an author and speaker, and his company, C-Level Partners, provides advice and hands-on experience to help small and mid-sized businesses achieve their revenue and growth goals, resulting in value creation for their clients. Welcome, David. Hey, my pleasure. David, can you start off by telling us, what does an angel investor do? Yeah, so the easiest way to say that, and then I'll go in a little more in depth, is to say, if you watch Shark Tank on TV, those are angel investors investing their own money in startups. Our angel investing group doesn't invest as much individually as a Mark Cuban or a nice guy or whoever else is up there, Barbara Cochran. We invest in startups. We do that in a couple different ways. We do that individually, and we do a fund that we established in Tech Coast Angels. I've been doing it for 11 years. I became a member of Tech Coast Angels. Uh, in 2009. I made my first angel investment, I think, when I was 25, though. I invested in my friend's uh, bookkeeping and a business startup, and that was probably one of the better investments I made. The good news is I didn't know anything about her business. I just liked her. She was my tennis partner, and I said, well, I'll take a shot. But I really enjoy, going back to today, I really enjoy the excitement of angel investing because we do get a chance to look at new companies that have the opportunity to change the way we do things in the world and found the younger people who many of them have these ideas and being around others who are very extremely, extremely smart, intelligent people to help vet out these deals. It's just been a pleasure. Tell me more about Set Coast Angels. How did it start and, and who do you work with? Well, I'll try to give you the classic comic book version, so to speak, because uh, it's an organization. We've been around for about 22 years. It started when a couple of people in Orange County had the great idea that invest in and support and grow businesses. And there was no real mechanism at that time. So the angel investing grew out of that mission or vision that these few people have. Today, Tech Host Angels is in its 22nd year or so. We have invested in well over 200 companies. And last year, for example, we did nearly $20 million of investments in about 52 companies. Some of the companies we time that we invested on in many cases, it's subsequent round. So let's say you had the Heather W. Company, you want you came to us for an investment, and we'll talk process, I would assume, in a little while. But let's say you came to us and you said, you know, I need a half a million dollars to be able to get my prototype implemented or to grow initially to get my first few customers. We would be a group that would be able to fund you. We have 475 members in Southern California and around the world, actually, because we opened up our membership to virtual members, regardless of where located. But in general, we have 475 members in Southern California in five different chapters or network. Those um, networks include uh, Orange County, where I'm based, 
San Diego, which is the largest uh, chapter or network, and they have about 270 people. Uh, LA, which has over 100 people, Inland Empire, also Santa Barbara. So we all share the same deals. Sometimes we do things a little differently. Each network is a little different. Uh, so LA, you know, in general, and we all overlap in terms of the deals and we all participate in each other's. But LA, you look at them and, and the location and, and the kind of companies up there and you see gaming, entertainment, and media. You look at Orange County, we're a haven for med tech devices and, so- and cybersecurity, IoT and software. And we're pretty strong in, in that area. You look at San Diego, and you look at San Diego being around people in Qualcomm or Illumina and uh, Scripps. They're very heavy into bio, pharma, life sciences, and wireless. But again, we all overlap. We don't, you know, it's not like them versus us. So let's say I wake up one day and I go, I've got this great product and a great invention. How do I go through the process with you from that point to actually having something in the market? Well, I hope that you get through the process by doing something a little bit differently. People will say, wow, I have this great idea. I'm going to give you and just give me money. Um, but in reality, like in everything else, you need to build relationships. You need to understand the processes within the angel community, the way the angels think. We make that available in very in different forum around the uh, you know, around Orange County and around Southern California. We're based at UC Irvine's Bill Applied Innovation. Our offices are, and there are a lot of other, uh, a couple of other angel groups up there, some VCs, Venture Capital, which is the next layer up. And they provide webinars, seminars, conferences. Obviously, today it's a little limited. We're doing everything virtually. But the aspiring entrepreneur will have an opportunity to listen to what an effective pitch is, how to develop an effective presentation, how to grow your business, how to build a team. What does IP look like? How do you develop you know, a good IP? How do you get your IP uh, trademarked and you know, put into the system so no one can duplicate it? So um, intellectual property for yeah, people that intellectual property, correct. So you need to be able to do all these things before you say, I have this great idea, give me money. Once you have this idea and you have self-funded, and then maybe you say, hey, my, my friends, my neighbors, my family have also given me money because they believe in me. They believe in the vision. They believe I can execute this plan. That's called friends and family. So you've gone from self-funding, friends and family, and now you're ready to get into the market. You may you know, get your prototype in. You may be starting to generate revenue. At that stage, early revenue or pre-revenue, early revenue, Let's call that seed money. That's where the angels really come into play. TCA looks at investing in companies wanting seed rounds, what they call bridge to A, you know, around to get to the next bigger round. A is really when you're starting to ramp up revenue. We very rarely go beyond the A round. That's more of the venture capital. And even beyond venture capital, you get into private equity. So there's a whole hierarchy of different investor groups, depending on what you're trying to do at what stage of your business. There's a lot of planning that happens before one starts to ask for money. Yep. Better do it then. Now, we're trying to also help. I mean, we have webinars and seminars that we conduct in conferences. One is called Face-to-Face with Entrepreneurs, 
we bring in people, and we've done it at UC Irvine at Applied Innovation. We bring in people, maybe about 200 people in there, and they will hear some angels talk about deals that worked out well, deals that didn't work out well, what you need. But it also gives them an opportunity to break out into small groups. They can ask any question they want relating to the process, even their business, and we'll try to give them advice. So we start to build that bond with people. Uh, There are also several pitch contests that are uh, available in California, all over the world, actually. We have several that are well-regarded down in San Diego. We've done it in Orange County. We do it up in L.A., Uh, We do it individually. We do it in conjunction with some of the universities like Pepperdine, UCI, UCLA, USC, very vibrant community. So if you're interested as an entrepreneur, you should be able to walk down the street and literally run into an angel investor or a webinar or a conference that you will like and you will get value out of. Excellent. How does creativity play into this entrepreneur who has an idea? How important is that in a professional sense? There's creativity in different areas. You can be creative in the way you put things together into a product. Okay. So it's a different, you know, a way of thinking about something. You know, Waze came out with a different way to put things together using crowdsourcing of traffic data. They also have IP, you know, intellectual property. There is maybe something that comes out of the university. Maybe they came out with a discovery of a new vaccine or a new therapeutic that can help with the COVID-19 crisis. That's creative in a different sense. Uh, It may be uh, creativity in terms of a process. So, for example, Instacart is a process. I mean, we always knew that I can call. I'm not sure you would do this for me, but we can certainly I can say, listen, I don't really want to go shopping. I'm an older guy. I don't want to take a chance. Heather, you're young, you, you, you have the better immune system, I want you to go shopping for me. Well, the creativity that Instacart came up with is, wow, I can call somebody, put my order in, and Heather will go shopping, and I'll pay a surcharge and a delivery fee. That's process creativity. So you call it creativity or innovation, you know, they kind of are two sides of the same coin. So we want to find things that are creative or innovative something that is defined as a unique advantage, and especially with something that has never been done before. You had the same thing true about, you know, Airbnb, Uber. Those are all creative processes. The neat thing about them all is there was an underlying technology that made that all relevant. Yeah, so it's the combination of an idea with the technology that makes it possible. Well, the way I like to put it, I come out of the tech world. I'm an engineer by training. I have an MBA in econometrics, so I'm kind of a unique you know, breed in many ways. So I have a different perspective on things. I think like a business person, but I'm very technically oriented and believe technology is is great to have in terms of proving something. But I look at companies and I look at them as PPT companies, people, process, technology, the combination of those three things, more or less in one area or the other will lead to an innovation. I can be innovative in the way I get to people I can be innovative in the way I put the process together. I can be innovative in the way I put the technology together, or I can be innovative in the way I can use new technology that comes out of a research setting. So PPT, is that something you created yourself or is that a term? Uh, I don't know. I've been using, you know, I don't, I don't think my memory is that good. I, I've been using that term PPT since the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, 
I kind of think it makes sense because, you know, again, being the engineer, everything is a model. So I can I can think about a model and I can pull one, you know, lever versus the other. I can get a lot of different combinations. So when I design something, design a business, I have certain models. PPT is just one model that I've used to help businesses grow. I think that when you think of all the inventions that have ever happened, I think either people, technology, or a way the product can change. So you talk about a process of disciplined creativity. Creativity is often thought of as breaking down the boundaries, breaking down the lines. Tell me more about what this process of disciplined creativity means. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And creativity is sometimes haphazard. You know, all of a sudden I have this great brainstorm, this idea. Wow, what if I did this? But disciplined creativity means you actually go through a process to figure out what it is. I have an idea that I want to develop a shopping service for somebody. I really don't know how to do it. I have an idea. I talk to somebody. I talk to people who may have that same kind of problem. I look at myself and what do I see as probably an average human being in terms of the problems that I see. And now I start putting down a, you know, some kind of a straw model. But nevertheless, a discipline creator have idea and I'm getting to, to formulate this minimum viable product, an MVP, we call it in, in the startup community. But now I want to try to figure out what do I do? How do I build this out? So I'm going to go touch base with some customers. I'm going to go test it out. I'm going to go try to model it maybe in, you know, either by 3D, if it's a 3D type model, or I'm going to model it in terms of, you know, maybe a process or even a CAD design, or maybe just the software because it's easy to do, or maybe it's an app. They're fairly easy to do. So I'll take a shot. The discipline part is you just don't go in many different directions. You stay focused on the end game. You try to get input on that and you keep modifying it. So it's modify, test, feedback loop, modify, test, feedback loop until you get it right. That is the discipline creativity that I was talking about. So in that beginning stage, it can be more free form. Then you take it and you really test it out. So then it it works out a lot of the bugs. It's not just a, oh, look, voila, it's an idea. It's more yeah. of a focused approach. Yeah. So the two other concepts, I was involved in product development, you know, again, starting as an engineer, and I got into marketing through product development. And there's a thing called the fuzzy front end. So the fuzzy front end says, here's the ideation and creativity state. I have to figure out what I want to do. Then I start getting into the formulation and the implementation stage, and those things got to be locked down and concrete. But the other concept that I've used along the way is a concept called customer jujitsu. Customer jujitsu is the term that I use for leveraging what the customer wants and trying to apply it to the product I'm designing. It doesn't always work perfectly. It works better when there's a context or reference point. But if there is a brand new product no one ever thought about, no one had the, you know, the, the, the wildest ideas. You know, let's say you're in the prehistoric era and you see these commercials on TV when the guy's going to jump into a pit and make it rain. And the guy says, well, what about building a you know, way to get the water up here? Nah, it doesn't work. But this is a, just a different way of approaching it. But if there's context and people kind of understand that, then you can use the customer to provide that feedback. And when you provide that feedback and you know that customer wants to buy, you now have the ideal target market so you can implement your 
product or execute your marketing and business plan to make sure that it actually does take root and it will grow. That gives us a, a viable strategy to move forward versus it being something that never actually comes into fruition. Yeah, helter skelter doesn't normally work real well you know, for most people, especially for angels. I mean, yeah. you came to me and said, hey, do I have this great idea? And trust me, I'll be able to get it to work. I just need the money. I'll figure it out. I'll probably scratch my head and say, hey, come back when you have it a little more formulated than just uh, you know, a yeah. whim. Yeah. You know, with COVID right now, we're going through a big transition and there's going to be a lot of challenges that business is going to be dealing with. Tell me how companies can think out of the box and come up with steps that they can actually use going forward. You know, I'm not the medical guy. We do have a group uh, that is uh, under the direction of an MD that does medical screening. So, But I'll give you an example that I heard the other day and the one that we actually did ask, can you modify it? And then I'll give you another example where it actually has been done today. There was a woman that came out of uh, one of the universities, I believe it was San Diego, had an idea for the way she can assay certain kinds of um, blood samples, and it was being used for cancer testing. We asked the question relative to the way blood, uh, iron interaction, how the virus interacts with cells, if she can readapt that that assay into something that would be useful for detection of COVID-19. That's you know one way to look at it. You look at the underlying problem and you look at what you have and you see, is there a way I can bridge from one to the other? I mean, you're also seeing that when you look at, I'm not advocating hydrochloroquine and you know, Z-Packs, but they took that one and adapted it, maybe with a different formulation, maybe not, you know, from malaria to looking at ways you can attack COVID-19 because the underlying processes of the way the virus interacts with the cellular structure would be similar. Now, you know, again, whether or not it works or not, don't know. The other thing you can do is take a look at what your competencies are in a company. So for example, Ford had a lot of competencies in mass manufacturing. So they were able to shift from cars to manufacturing ventilators. So there are different ways Different companies can adapt either by thinking or the processes they have or the technology they have or the belief in the people that they have to be able to make things happen. It still goes back to PPT. I can, which lever can I pull? I mean, I didn't even think about that, but it kind of makes sense. Absolutely. And those are essential building blocks of any company. We are here in the studio today with David Friedman, who is sharing with us about creativity in a business sense and how an idea and a plan can be implemented to actually make changes within a company or within an organization. David, can you share your favorite story of how creativity has been used in business? I'll give you one that I kind of like because I was involved in it, but then, you know, I have a prejudice. I want to just lay it out there right up and be very, you know, full disclosure. Um, and, and unfortunately, it didn't work out to my advantage at that time, but it was the, one of the best things that I have ever done. And that was when I first came out to California, I worked as a vice president for one of the Boeing subsidiaries called Connection by Boeing. Now, we all knew in the early 2000s, we had Wi-Fi in homes that was coming up. We liked to see more wireless connections. 
remember in let's say the year 2003 when when I joined Connection by Boeing, the PCs that you had, and this is a lot of people weren't even born at the time that's probably listening. The PCs were a lot clunkier, a lot bigger. They had a big card that went into a large slot, a PCM CIA card. And very uh, not every computer had a modem inside that allowed you to gain access to Wi-Fi. And in many cases, there was a little jack that went in that it plugged into a blue cable. Now, you very rarely see that in a PC these days. You see it in servers, but not in a laptop, for example. So we took a look at what people would want, or we presumed what people would want, and we built a, a system that enabled internet or Wi-Fi on board airplanes on the commercial flight. So we built that, and it was an interesting time because at the time in 2003, we had SARS. You know, SARS killed a lot of things in travel. Uh, we had financial concerns with some of the airlines in the United States. So they had to switch over from focusing in the U.S. to focusing internationally. The good news is that within a couple of years and in early 2005, we launched the, the first commercial Wi-Fi on board planes on a Lufthansa flight. And I was privileged to make the first, quote, call on that flight. It was great. And then soon after that, we looked at how do we expand that to enable live video, live TV on a flight. Now, you can do that today. Obviously, you have one antenna and you have direct TV, you have a satellite focused down. But doing it across the oceans and making it seamless was a very big technical challenge. And the guys and women at Boeing and the engineering group were just superb very accomplished, brilliant people I had the privilege to work with. And they were able to make that work. So I remember, so we went from just Wi-Fi on board and people were using that to watching TV on board seamlessly. And I remember I was on one flight. It was, uh, I think it was, it was a Lufthansa flight and Germany it was a world cup time. Germany was playing, I think Korea, South Korea, and there were like 120 people on board that flight watching the soccer match. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't think it would ever handle that many people, but it worked flawlessly. So it was great. So you talk about creativity, creativity and applying a technology to a new environment, to a new type of market, to a new location. I mean, who, who can do it in the sky really at that speed? And then you look at the people necessary to be able to make that happen from the people who can explain it to the people who can service it. And you look at the processes to be able to make sure it works. You can charge people on board a plane. You can even charge people to their corporate accounts. All these processes had to be put together. I'll tell you, that was one of the great achievements that I've been involved in. Extraordinarily smart people working in, in a lot of different areas. And of course, when I people say, what did you do that was kind of unique? And I say, well, it was connection working for Connection by Boeing and having the privilege of commercializing it because I was in charge of marketing and direct sales. We yeah, all thank well, you for that. <laughs> I have a lot of negative notes too, saying, why would you put internet under the airplane? It was the first, but I want to be able to sleep. Now I have to work. My boss thinks I have to, you know, connectivity all the time. But it was it was phenomenal. It just didn't work because for a variety of reasons today because we have embedded Wi-Fi cards in, in, a, in a PC. We have tablets. We have smartphones. You didn't have that until 2007, 2008. We were just a little too early. But the good news is a lot of people that worked on it with me that were on my team are now involved in it in different companies. 
and it's great. And, uh, you know, that was one of the best experiences with a combination of you had to be a good business person and you had to be a smart engineer. You had to be creative in a variety of different ways from the marketing to the business development, to the sales, to the engineering, to who would you even, you know, partner with the content, you know, providers. And that's one of the highlights of my career, frankly. And I like that uh, some of the people that worked on that went on to create something that we do use today. And I think that that's one of the keys is that when something looks like it failed, it may not have failed for the long term and that people often will give up in the the instant versus keeping on for the long term. Talk to me about how companies manage the expression of creativity and ideas and taking risk versus staying safe and doing the right things day to day? Well, I think that goes to what I call it. You need a corporate innovation charter. For example, different companies look at risk differently. As you, as the company grows, as you, the company matures, you have external influences. Call that a board of directors. Call that investors. Call that the market analysts. And they want to make sure you don't do something really weird. They want to protect the equity and the valuation. So you're seeing a lot of smaller companies be the ones that are in charge of innovation. You see the larger companies buying the smaller companies. Edwards potentially buying some of the smaller you know, med, med tech companies. You look at Google or Microsoft or some of the larger tech companies buying smaller companies for different reasons. You look at Apple buying Beats you know, not red beats, but yes, beats, yes, yes, you beats. know, the headset people, <laughs> you know, making Dr. Dre extraordinarily well off. Mm-hmm. But you you look at that and, you know, a lot of the innovation comes out of the small companies because they don't have that risk. But there are companies that do encourage and they have it in their the corporate fabric that encourage innovation. You've always had 3M, you know, the story of Art Fry with the Post-it notes. Mm-hmm. 3M has a strategy, had a strategy for years. 10% of your time can be used for a unique project. Well, Art Fry found the glue that didn't glue well and you know, started to say, what can you do with this glue? And other companies like Google and Google's attitude is great. And basically say, hey, find an opportunity, see if it works. And if it doesn't go on to the next opportunity, but it allows people to stretch their imagination. Other companies, probably, you know, some of the ones that I've worked for, probably not as keen on innovation. My idea is find a company that allows you to stretch your boundaries of imagination and your own skill level and builds them up. You know, work for those. That's what I keep trying to tell people. Yeah, I think that's very nice Instead of worrying about who doesn't do it, worry about who does and go go work for them. Right. Absolutely. What advice would you give entrepreneurs and businesses as they start to progress through the COVID-19 aftermath? First of all, you have to be financially conservative right now. It's a time when you sit back and you have the opportunity to really look at your strategy, look at your tactical plans, figure out where you want to focus as we come out of COVID-19. This is going to be a short-term blip when you really look at it, a big blip. But, you know, it's a short-term blip. And you want to be able to come out of this swinging for the fences and swinging well. Not You don't want to do something totally off base. You don't want to do something that is you know, extraordinarily risky because you, know, you don't want to, it was speculative. But you want to be able to think and really look at your plans, where you want to focus 
and where you want to go, you know, when we come out of it. So one of the things that I would do is say conservative fiscal management, you're making sure you have money to survive, number one. Number two, really take a look at your plans with your team, because you can do that right now over Zoom or anything else, and make sure you have it laid out in terms of the high priorities where you're going to get the most benefit. Okay, it's like Pareto curve, you know, 80-20, where are you going to spend the 80% of your money on the 20% that are going to give you the best shot. And then focus, 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 and focus. Make sure you have clarity on what you want to do and how you want to do it. And don't deviate. Don't chase a shining lure. And the final thing, I've always used uh, the two terms that, that, that I became, that people know me by, let me say I'm making famous for, but focus and podfu. Podfu is a made-up word. I, a former boss taught it to me. P-O-D-F-U. Plan, organize, delegate, and follow up. So the combination, regardless if it's COVID-19 coming out of it, you know, or anything else, focus on what you want, be clear on the end goal, stay true to course, and make sure you plan it, organize it with the right people, the right resources, make sure you delegate so you don't micromanage, and then make sure you follow up to make sure you get to the right conclusion. Plan, organize, delegate, and follow up. Okay, that's yeah, it's kind of a weird Absolutely. word. I like it. As we close up, I'd like to know, how do you engage creatively in your own life? And how does that translate to the business community that you're involved in with Techco's Dangers? Well, I've always been known, I think, and hope that I've been known for looking at things in a very weird way. I try to, I play games in my own head of what if games. What if I were to do this? How do I do this? I may not come up with a novel idea, but if I see it, you know, some kernel of an idea, then I can say, well, what if we did this? How do I change this? And again, it goes back to these frameworks, these templates, these models that I've had, you know, be it PPT or I use some other models. How do I change one thing or another? Now, in my consulting, these are the models I use to try to help other people. Uh, for my own creativity, I don't know if I really pay attention to my own creativity. I'm not building anything unique, but I'm always, you know, I'm, right now I'm in management and vision mode for TCA, just, you know, following the vision that was created by our past president and continuing that, but now expanding on it. So my innovation, you know, is maybe a different process or maybe, a, you know, different way we use people, maybe a little different organization. Maybe, you know, some different technologies that enable us to do better. Well, maybe that PPT is uh, the model that you'll be looking at in your own life, which will make you even a greater asset to the community. Thank you so much, David, for being on the show today. I'm your host, Heather Wishlow, and you've been listening to The Creative News on Saddleback Radio 88.5.